Well, we're in Psalm 11. We're going to do Psalm 11 through 13, I think, this morning. We'll see what happens. Uh, if you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Psalms. And so we're just taking one at a time, verse by verse, and seeing what the Lord has for us. So, you know, the next three Psalms that we're going to look at, hopefully this morning, 11, 12, and 13, uh, they have a similar theme. And the theme is a cry for help. A cry for help. Things are very serious, especially in Psalm 13, where King Saul is chasing David, and David is not certain of his own outcome. You see, David has already been anointed the second king of Israel, but there's a problem. Saul, the first king, is still king. And Saul didn't like the idea of someone already replacing him while he was alive. So his desire was to kill David so that his own son, Jonathan, would be the next king of Israel. But God knows what's best. And so that's what we're going to see this morning is, is David is crying out for help. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe no one else knows, but within you, there is a need for help. You know, you, you've come to the right place, not necessarily this church, although church is very, very important, but you've come to the place of crying out to God, of crying out to God through Jesus this morning. And you're never alone. Even in a crowd like this, though, it's very easy for people to feel alone. So I want to encourage you that if you are feeling alone, the enemy wants you to feel that and wants you to remain alone and you need to do something. You need to step out. You need to let somebody know what you're going through so that we can pray for you and encourage you and strengthen you and so that you realize you're not alone. Even in a large group like this, you're not. But we don't know and we're not going to guess. That wouldn't be right on our part. So do us a favor. We'd love to minister to you. And we'd love for that feeling to go away. But you have to take that step. So after the service, take that step. Come up and pray. And we're not going to ask for details. We don't want history. But we just want you to know you're not alone. And that God loves you. And there's a group of people here as well as other believers in the community that love you and want you to be a part of the kingdom of God wholeheartedly. So don't let the enemy rob you anymore this morning. But take that step of faith. Father, we thank you and praise you. For your word says that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. But yet at times we can, as humans, we we can just have that feeling of loneliness that, that no one cares and that you're distant. And we may even question in our own hearts, do you care? Father, your word says you do. Your word says that you know the number of hairs upon our heads. You are a God of intimacy. So even this morning, Father, as we go over these verses, if there's someone in our midst or maybe later this week or this month or this year, those feelings come upon us, may we remember your word. May we remember one another and reach out and encourage and strengthen each other. May we remember your goodness and get our eyes back onto heaven and off of the things of this world. Bless this morning. Lord, I, I pray for the gift of teaching. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, Psalm 11. And remember, these are songs. To the chief musician 
a psalm of David or a song of David. And remember, David wrote songs, he sang songs, he also created instruments as well. So David was very musically inclined. He was a worshiper. But again, also remember, he wasn't perfect. You know that. We'll get to some psalms that specifically address that issue. He was not perfect. So in verse 1, we read, In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. Someone here is talking to David and encouraging him to flee. This is interesting. We're going to try something new this morning. I'm going to try to figure out how to work this, if it even works. There it is. They didn't seem to have the faith that God could see David through the crisis. Now now think big. They, whoever it is that's saying this, flee as a bird to your mountain. They didn't seem to have the faith that God could see David through the crisis, which is a very important aspect of our Christian faith. You see, no one else, no one else can live out my faith walk with God. No one else. And and you're probably thinking, well, duh, that's pretty obvious. And of course it's obvious, but how many of us like our faith walk stretched? You see, it's like a muscle. If our faith walk is not stretched, our trust in God will not grow deeper and stronger. Just like our muscles, when you go through a surgery, you have to go to therapy, and you have to stretch the muscles, the ligaments, the tendons, the joint, you have to get the joint going. It hurt, it's painful, but if you don't, I I just... Think of my own knee surgery that I had back when I was in my 20s, uh, reconstructed ACL. And I went to um, the therapist, and she was determined to cause pain in my life. And she did a really good job. And she said, you know, I need to break up all the scar tissue in your knee. If I don't break up all that scar tissue in your knee, down the road, you're going to have an issue. And it's, it's amazing because she did a really good job, but she missed one little area, just one little area. And if I hit that area, even to this day, on, on a corner of a table, or if I hit it just right, it's like, ow, man, that, it's just, boom, instant pain. So that's very important in our lives. Well, it's the same thing in our Christian walk. As we go through trials and tribulations, it stretches us. It should cause us to go to God. And build that trust in God. And David has been there, and that is why David makes the point that he is putting, notice that he is putting his trust in the Lord. In verse 3, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
What can the righteous do? Now, I think that David here is making an observation about the nation of Israel. About the nation of Israel. Where can a righteous person flee if those who are in authority remove God's righteous judgment? I'm going to put it down, John. So I'm going to put it down. I turned it off. You can go ahead and click on it. Where can a righteous person flee if those who are in authority remove God's righteous judgment? You see, God's ways are the foundation of this life. And if his ways are removed, then you remove the foundation. If a nation has a foundation made up of laws, principles, and regulations based upon the word of God, which I firmly believe America had then God will bring order and protection to the innocent of that nation. But when those laws, principles, and regulations are pushed aside for the sake of convenience, then the pillars of that society will eventually crumble under the weight of evil and deceit. Again, but when those laws, principles, regulations are pushed aside, if you've been doing the daily reading this morning in the daily reading, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, the third king of Israel, started out strong in the Lord, but then he laid aside the foundation of the word of God. And in his lifetime as king of 17 years, the Egyptians came and pillaged the southern tribes of Israel. We as a nation, if we lay aside the word of God, we as a nation will eventually crumble under the weight of evil and deceit. And I think we can see that happening. David says here, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. You see, when we look around, people can find lots of problems. But when people look up, they will find the answer to those problems. You see, God gave Moses the foundation of the faith, and it was that foundation that kept them alive through the wilderness for 40 years. You see, it was a foundation that kept the nation of Israel alive for centuries. And it was the foundation that they removed. God did not remove the foundation. They removed the foundation. And once they removed that foundation, everything crumbled to pieces and they temporarily lost what God had promised. Their land, their inheritance. And so as we think about a foundation, we have to admit everyone has a foundation. Everyone has a foundation. So the question needs to be, what is the foundation and what is a true foundation? What is your foundation and what is a true foundation? Because the foundation that every person must build upon for salvation in order to have eternal life with God is in the heavenlies. And as David shared, Adam received that foundation the the last few weeks of his life. 
1 Corinthians 3.11 says this, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That is the only foundation. Now I know people have issues with this. I was raised a Roman Catholic. The Roman Catholics have a foundation that is built upon the hierarchy of the church and the teachings of the church. It doesn't work. It's not for salvation. The only foundation is Jesus. Not the Mormon foundation or the Islamic foundation. Not a Buddhist or any other religious foundation. Acknowledging that Jesus is God who came in the flesh to save sinners, that is the true foundation for salvation. And God has and will continue to test all other foundations and they will come up in adequate, unstable, cracked, or damaged foundations. And for you and I, I just want to encourage you to plant those seeds, to water those seeds as we did with our neighbor. And he pushed away often. And he would change the conversation often. But he, we lived across the street for seven years and he saw our life, he heard our life, And we spoke, we planted those seeds. And someone had the privilege at the end to bring in the harvest. Don't ever give up, guys. We're not giving up on America. We need to pray for America. But we have to be real about where we're heading as a country and encourage people to come back to the foundation. Because all other foundations will crumble. All other foundations will fail. Verses 5 and 6. The Lord tests the righteous. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Now again, we want to remember that there is continued revelation past the time of David. Because you'll come to, what should come to your mind right away when David says, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates, is John 3.16, for God so loved the world. So David is expressing his heart, his thought process through the Holy Spirit. But again, you want to take the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. Now we do know that God hates the deeds of the person, but God loves the person. And we as well in our society, as we're seeing more and more evil deeds coming to the forefront, we should hate those deeds, but we need to continue to love the person and let that person know that they are loved and that God loves them. And that doesn't mean that we condone or accept their evil deeds. No, we have to take a stand, but we do need to continually let them know God loves you and God desires a relationship with you. So here it says in verse 5, it says, The Lord tests the righteousness. And God's universal test is 100% correct. Because it's a test against his own righteousness. His righteousness. You see, the believer will pass that test because we have God's righteousness covering us through the blood of Christ. So when God goes to test our righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21 stands in front of us. And that says... For he made him, so this would be Jesus, for he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was spotless. To be sin for us, that sacrifice on the cross, that we, that the believer, 
not the unbeliever, only the believer, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. So when God sees us as saints, he sees Jesus and then he sees Jim. Thank God for that. Because I'm not righteous. Only Jesus is. And Jesus is working righteousness in my life, rightness. That's what righteousness basically means. Rightness, being right with God. But I can never get to heaven apart from Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you do not have Jesus as your Savior, you need Jesus as your Savior so that you take on the righteousness of Christ. Let's look at Romans chapter 4, 1 through 8. Romans chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to, to pick up a Bible and follow along because this is the Word of God. This is not the Word of Jim. This is the Word of God. Romans chapter 4, 1 says, What shall... What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So we're going to see in these verses here, works versus grace or faith. Every religion, Mormon, Roman Catholic, Muslim, Buddhist, you name the religion, Jehovah Witness, every religion is based on works for your salvation. Calvary Chapel is not. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, coming to Calvary Chapel is not going to save you. Reading your Bible so many days a week is not going to save you. Saying so many prayers is not going to save you. Going and bringing other people to Calvary Chapel is not going to save you. There's no work that you can do to save you. It is only by grace through faith that you can be saved. So this is what Paul is addressing here. For if Abraham was justified by works, again, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham, back in Genesis, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham had faith, not his works, his faith is what made him righteous. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. For to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Well, God, I've prayed a lot this week. Matter of fact, I've, I spent a half hour every single day Praying to you, you owe me. Because I did a work, I spent a half hour praying every day to you, you now, I, I, I should have a wage coming to me, because I did a work. That's what those verses are saying. If I have that mentality, and I'm saying to God, you owe me, it's no longer grace. It's works. And it's not going to work with God. God doesn't owe me anything. Now, God lovingly will bless me with many, many things as a believer, but it's not because of what I have done for him. It's just because of what he desires to do for us. So again, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So every believer in this room, you are righteous because of your faith in Jesus as your Savior. Now, we should have fruit of salvation. 
but we don't try to produce fruit for salvation as every other religion tries to do. Verse 6, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Now in quotes, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And to that I say, praise God. Praise God. So back in Psalm 11. So in verse 6, upon the wicked, he will rain coals. Yes, there is that final judgment. And you will be judged according to your own righteousness that you think you have. But the scale is going to be according to God's righteousness. How do you measure up to God's righteousness? Now, right now, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you know you fall way short on God's righteous scale. You fall way short. So if you can't fool God now, don't think you're going to fool him then. For the rest of us as believers, we just need to thank God every day that it's because of Jesus, that God sees me as righteous. For the Lord is righteous, verse 7. Notice what he says. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. That would be you and that would be me. You see, he loves righteousness because he is righteous. And so he will give strength to those who are right with him and those who trust in him. But again, going back to verse 1, the in the Lord I put my trust. Whatever you may be going through right now. Again, these three Psalms, David is crying out for help, so to speak. Whatever you may be going through, you're not alone. You're not the first. And someone may say, how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Someone may say, well, why do you believe in God? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you go to church? And you have to go back to the facts of the word. Because I'm going through a trial and I know that God is with me and will never leave me, never forsake me. And no, it's not fun. But as a believer, I have a God who knows what's best. And I'm going to trust in him. And it will give you that little opportunity for witnessing right there. Just 15 second witnessing. Plant those seeds. Psalm 12, to the chief musician on an eight-stringed harp, a song of David. Help! (laughs) Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Again, this is a psalm during King Saul's pursuit, and things are heating up for David. In the first verse here, David addresses hypocrisy. You see, faithfulness is becoming a very short commodity in the world, as well as in the church, unfortunately. Again, I just heard a sad commentary yesterday from a brother of a pastor locally who has fallen into adultery. And it's split the church because he will not step down. Now, I don't know why anyone would even stay in a church when the pastor's caught in adultery. But unfortunately, if you don't know the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, you know, sheep are sheep. And so we have to be careful. We have to make sure that we're seeking after God. And as in thinking over the overall state of our nation, what's the first word that pops into your mind when you hear the word like 
And I'm not thinking, I'm thinking negative. Think, think positive. What should be maybe the first positive word that you might think of when you hear the word politician? That's why I had to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, politician. Or uh, car salesman. Yeah, again, positive. <laughs> or even the pastorate. You see, it's sad commentary, but one that is true. Integrity. You know, integrity is something that is desperately needed and can only be established or accomplished by focusing on God and His Word. David says, help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. I'm being chased by Saul. What have I done wrong? There's no sin in my life. And as far as King Saul was concerned, not David was a sinner, but as far as King Saul was concerned, there was no sin that David had committed to cause King Saul to chase him and want to kill him. David was, was proclaiming the absolute truth here. Lord, help me. Help me. What is going on here? They speak idly, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips, in verse 2. And a double heart they speak. You see, the hypocrites speak of vain or empty things. And they make promises with no ability to make good on those promises. And they flatter those who need to be flattered at the moment, making their audience think that their heart is on their side. But they are as unstable as water, for their heart is double-minded. You know, James 1.8, this verse probably popped in your mind when I said this, out of the King James Version. James 1.8 says, A double-minded man or woman, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know what did Jesus say? Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Don't say yes and then turn around and do the no or vice versa. But be solid in what you say so that you and I can build up a life of integrity. To where when we tell somebody we're going to do something, we actually do it. Now life happens, and if you might need to call and say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, I said I was going to do that, I can't make it, this came up. That's life. That happens. But overall, you and I, we need to be seeking after a life of integrity. Verse 3, May the Lord cut off all flat, flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Now this is a great prayer. And one that makes perfect sense because only God can change the heart of a person. You and I, we can't change the heart of a person. But when God does change the heart, then faithfulness will become established and the hypocrite will cease to exist. Verse 4, who have said, with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? What do you see there? It's the boast of the proud. There's no submission, but rather a multitude of words that will accomplish an evil task. For verse 5 goes on to say, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for which he yearns. You see, God hears the cries of his kids, and he knows how to take care of his flock. And we don't know how to pray at times. At times we can just sigh. And that's okay to even just do that. God, I, I don't even know how to pray. I'm just going to sit here. You know, when, uh, Friday night, again, I would encourage you to come out to prayer meetings. 
Uh, Friday night we had our monthly prayer meeting and, and Amadeo hosted it. And Pastor Ben switched it up a little bit. And we actually, you know, sang some songs. And then we just had a time of listening instead of praying. And he kind of directed us a little bit what to listen for. And we spent, you know, two or three or four minutes just listening. It's awkward. Kind of like silence on a Sunday morning during a teaching. It's awkward. But it's something that we need to do. Because typically in praying, we like to pray and talk and pray and talk and pray and talk. Instead of just sometimes stopping. And sometimes we don't even know what to say. And it's okay just to be still and wait upon the Lord. He knows your heart. He knows what's best. Verse 6, David says, The words of the Lord are pure words. I actually have these next two verses highlighted in my Bible. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The words of God. And here we are 3,000 years later. David lived at 1,000 B.C. Here we are 3,000 years later reading the word of God. And the word of God is going to go into eternity. It's the only book that's going to go into eternity. So we can trust in this book right here and right now. But as we look at that, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. I'm sure most of you have heard this, but maybe there's one who hasn't. The way that you refine silver is by heating the silver up in a pot, and then they would take and skim off the dross. That's the impurities of the silver. And then you heat the silver and you skim. You heat the silver and you skim. And it is said that in the old days, they would know when the silver was pure, when they would heat it, and they'd be able to look into the pot and actually see their reflection. They then knew, okay, the silver is pure. Now, isn't that interesting? Just correlate that now with our walk with Christ. Because we all have impurities, impure thoughts, impure personalities. We all have our you know, our own peculiar things. And sometimes God has to heat things up because you might be thinking, well, why do I even have to go through a trial? Why do I have to go through a tribulation? Why do I have to do any of that? I mean, if God is God, why can't he just make me perfect just the way I am? Because he doesn't override our free will. We have an opportunity to submit to him and we have an opportunity to stiff him. No, I don't want you. I don't want, to. I don't want that right now. But as we go through that refining process... When people look at us, remember Stephen in the book of Acts? Remember when Stephen was before the Sanhedrin? And it says that they looked at him and he had a face as the face of an angel. He was glowing God. He was glowing Jesus. He'd allowed Jesus to purify his short Christian life to that point so quickly that when they looked at Stephen, they saw something unique about him. And that's for you and me, guys, as we look at these verses here. Allowing the pure word... God's word to purify our lives. That when people look at us, they see Jesus. They see Jesus in us. They see the attributes of God working through us. But again, to get that takes heat. And none of us like that. But it takes it. 
So again, as we've talked about in the past few weeks, don't try to go around a trial. Go through the trial. Because God is with you and you are going to come out purified. You're going to come out purer than ever before. The wicked prowl on every side. When vileness is exalted among the sons of men. I think that's a really good verse for today. When we see what's happening in our society. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted. So for you and I, we need to be that light in this dark world. Because we are the only light as believers that this world has to see. So as we go out into our mission field this week, make sure you remember that. You're going to cross paths with wicked people, but you are the light of the Lord. You have his word in you. Be that example. Psalm 13, to the chief musician, again, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Well, have any of you ever prayed that prayer? (laughs) How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He goes on to say again, how long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Things have gone from bad to worse for David. And notice what he says there. And I emphasize it. How long? How long? How long? I venture to say we have all probably asked that question at one time or another. And it's a sincere question by a man who longed after God. Just as Moses yearned to see the face of God, I think anyone who has a relationship with God yearns to see his face, especially when things are going bad. But here's a question for you. Can God ever forget his chosen, his children, his inheritance? Can God ever forget Answer, no. God could never do that. But we think he can. Where is he? No. You know, to answer the question, how long? Again, as our faith deepens, we come to realize that God knows best. And whatever he is allowing to take place in our lives, he knows how long it needs to remain in our lives. Maybe I should say that again. God knows best. And whatever he is allowing to take place in our lives, in your workplace, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your children, whatever the case may be, he knows how long it needs to remain in our lives. And in some cases, it may be until I go home to be with Jesus. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, 7 says this. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. Notice, God will have mercy. Again, if you've been doing the daily reading this past week, as God is praying to, as Solomon is praying to God, and God is ministering to Solomon, Solomon writes it down for you and I, what God says. If you follow my covenants, if you follow my commands, if you follow my ways, everything will go well for you. If you don't, things will not go well. 
It's so black and white. Solomon writes it all down. But he even forgot in his own life. It's amazing how how quickly and how easily we can forget. See, God will have mercy. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And if you look at the scriptures, even in King Ahab, that wicked King Ahab, when you read the scriptures, there was one point where Ahab repented of what he was doing momentarily, and God honored that repentance. King Ahab? Yes, even King Ahab. But then unfortunately, King Ahab went back to his old flesh. That's why you want to read from Genesis to Revelation. God is always there to pardon. He is always there. He longs for that. Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, even during a season of despair, God had a plan for David's life as he has a plan for every one of his children. So, as I've mentioned in previous studies, as I've mentioned before, the question doesn't need to be how long necessarily, how long, but how can I allow God to deepen my faith walk with him? Not necessarily, well, how long are you going to allow this? No, no. God, what are you trying to do in my life through this? God, what are you trying to show me? How can I grow? How can I be more like your son? Back in Psalm 13, verses 3 and 4. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. The word enlighten there means to illuminate, to shine, to give light. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. A great prayer. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. And again, think of it, remember it as Saul pursuing David because this is the case and David is crying out to God. How long? How long? Now guys, again, as I've said many times, it's estimated that David had to flee from Saul for up to 10 years possibly. Ten years. How long? How long are you going to let this nut pursue me? I haven't done anything wrong, and you're allowing this nut to try to kill me. But what was God doing in David's life? He delivered him. He showed him that he was with him, and he delivered him, and he delivered him, and he delivered him. So when David became king, where was David's trust? God, you're going to deliver us. And I'm going to follow you all of my days. Now, did David make mistakes? We know he did. But he repented, he got right with God, and David delivered him. So remember, God does deliver. Let's look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 12. Because when I think of this, I think of the woman caught in adultery. You remember that story in the Gospels, how the religious elite brought the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And the word of God says that (laughs) you're supposed to bring the man and the woman and kill both of them. But no, they wanted to trap Jesus, so they conveniently only brought the woman. John eight twelve says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. This woman found this out, because Jesus did not condemn her. But Jesus showed her the grace and the mercy of God. So Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me 
shall not walk in darkness. Notice that he who follows me. So even as believers, we can find ourselves going into darkness. We've got to get our eyes back on the God. And that's what David had to do with Bathsheba. He started to walk in darkness. He found himself in darkness. He got his eyes back on God. He came back into the light. So maybe as a believer this morning, you're walking in darkness. You need to get back into the light. You need to get your eyes on the light. Because Jesus is the light. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As long as we're following after Christ, following after God, we will be walking in the light. Back in Psalm 13, 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your mercy. As the music team comes up. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Again, notice, as we've, as we've noticed this several times over the last few weeks, how David commands his soul. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Even though Saul is pursuing me, even though my manager is harassing me, even though my neighbor is causing me problems, even though my family member is mocking me, ridiculing me, making fun of me, whatever the case may be today, make it relevant to today. This was real in David's life. Help! Help! Where are you? How long? What's going on? Hasn't changed, has it? 3,000 years. We need God. And David said, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now when I read that, the, the thing that I think of is my salvation. Let's look at John ten twenty seven through 30. This past week, one of the officials in Washington made a comment, and a lot of people got bent out of shape about it. He made a comment about poverty is a state of mind. And I like what he said. He said, a person that has the proper state of mind, you can take everything away from them. But if they have the proper perspective, and he's a Christian, by the way, if they have a proper perspective, they will get up and they will get back. It's pretty plain and simple, but of course the media likes to twist it. But it's also, I think of it as our salvation as well. People can take everything away from me, but they cannot take my salvation. Ever. And John 10, amen, praise God. John 10, 27 through 30. Whatever may come into our lives, let's remember these verses here. David had everything taken away from him. He should have been in the palace alongside of Saul, enjoying everything that King Saul had, and he had it all taken away from him. Now he's running and hiding in the desert. And if you go to Israel, down in, uh, in Gedi, the desert, if you can believe this or not, the desert is worse than here. And this is pretty bad here. But it's worse there than even here. Total desolation. This is where David is. But John 10 says what? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. That word perish is not die, because we know we're all going to die. That is separation from God. They'll never be separated from God. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. This is Jesus speaking. You can't get out of Jesus' hand. 
And if you think you can, he goes on to say, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. You think an insurance company came up with this. The Bible came up with this. You're in good hands. Feel free to jump. You ain't getting out. God never says, oops. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) God never says that. You can't get out. And then you read the next verse. Verse 30. I and my father are one. This is why they picked up stones to kill Jesus. And again, for those Mormons that come and knock on your door or Jehovah Witnesses or Muslims or whatever the case may be, well, Jesus never said he was God. Here's the verse, John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. And if you read the following verses, they say specifically, we're going to stone you because you make yourself equal with God. You make yourself the Son of God. That's blasphemy. You deserve to die. So if you're here this morning, most of us know that Jesus is God. David remembered how blessed he was. So he acknowledged God's mercy and he lifts up his praise. Let us do the same thing even this morning. We're saved. We're saved. We're saved. You know, amen. The opening songs that we sang, we're saved. It was a little loud. Something was a little off this morning. It was really, just so you guys know, it was really loud out there. Something was a little... But so what? We're saved. Forget the loudness and enter into the praise. Some days it's soft. Some days it's songs you like. Some days it's not songs you like. It doesn't matter. Enter into the praise. Because we are saved and no one can take that. No one can take that from us. Take everything else. You can't touch my salvation. Father, we thank you and praise you. For this world is coming and pressing against Christians. It's obvious. Islam is attacking Christians. This past week, shooting up a bus of women and children who are Coptic Christians in Egypt, killing. We see it happening. And we see it happening here in America, coming against Christianity. Father, they can have everything. It doesn't matter. They can never touch our salvation. And we wholeheartedly trust in you. And maybe some days we say, help! And maybe some days we say, how long? Lord, help us to follow up with those questions with a statement. God, however long, I just want to be like Jesus. God, however long it takes, I just want to be like Jesus. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. God, however long it takes, Just help me to be like Jesus at the end of this day. Father, that's our prayer this morning. Help us to be more like Jesus at the end of this day than we are right now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand? God bless you guys. Love doing the Psalms. If you would, just please remember Frank, remember Mary. Frank's in heaven. (laughs) He's rejoicing. But if you'd remember Mary, we'd really appreciate it. And the Whitson family. Praise God. We're going to have a memorial service probably in about two weeks. Probably about two weeks on a Saturday for Frank.
But God bless you guys. Have a great week. If you need prayer, please come up. If you need to receive Jesus, Pastor Al will be up here. We have other people up here. Come on up and receive Jesus. Don't put it off. God bless you guys. Have a great day. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampled at the ranches where the graves are at the stone. He has lost the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching.